Hello and welcome to the Inspiring Women Wales podcast brought to you by NatWest Cymru and the University of South Wales. I'm Gemma Casey, NatWest Cymru's Ecosystem Manager for Wales. If women in the UK matched men in starting and scaling businesses, £250 billion could be added to the economy. That startling figure was first revealed in the Rose Review of Female Entrepreneurship in 2019. Despite all the challenges we've faced since then, we are making progress. Last year, nearly 4,500 all-female founded firms were created in Wales and more than 140,000 across the UK as a whole. But we also know that women are still met with more hurdles when starting and scaling businesses. With this podcast, we're bringing you the stories of brilliant female founders of Welsh businesses who face the challenges of business life head on. We aim to bring you stories you can relate to, stories to inspire you and give you the confidence to move forward with your business dreams. With me for this episode is Claire Copeman, co-founder of Denbyshire-based Adventure Tours UK. Hi, Claire. Hi, Gemma. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Claire, so your website describes your business as offering carefully crafted bundles of exhilarating adventures. It sounds brilliant. Tell me a little bit more about the business. Thanks, Gemma. So Adventure Tours UK is exactly that. It's sustainable adventure holidays across Wales and all across world spaces around the UK. We're all about championing the great outdoors, getting people outside to enjoy the beautiful landscapes that we have here on our doorstep and to try experiences and activities that perhaps they've never tried before and perhaps maybe didn't even think they were capable of doing. It's doing that in a, um, a safe and secure environment. So small group means that they get to travel with like-minded adventurers, meet new people, and do that all with the benefit of having a guide alongside who can help to ensure that they're safe and navigated well and really getting the most out of the local areas. And self-guided is also an option for those people who perhaps feel a bit more confident, a bit more adventurous, and would like to get out and have time together with their friends or their family. So how did this business come about, Claire? It was really a culmination of events. Back in 2018, I had an opportunity to leave um, a a long and successful career in marketing, which I'd thoroughly enjoyed for a long time, but it it was time for me to move on. And it was a time for a fresh start as well. And and this opportunity really came about through, I say, lots of different events all happening at once, but a realisation that there was an opportunity to create something really special, particularly here in Wales. Myself and my husband are both very outdoorsy people. We're we're mountain bikers, we're trail runners, we're hikers. If we're not working, then we're all about getting outdoors and enjoying what nature has to offer. And around the same time, we were looking at actually just how undiscovered the UK is as an adventure destination, certainly for multi-day stays. My husband runs a mountain bike centre, so he's familiar with the adventure sector within North Wales in particular, And he's aware of how popular it is as a day trip destination, but getting people to stay here for for multiple nights is quite a challenge. We also, at the time, we were doing some research into the idea of an adventure holiday company. And we found that Visit Britain was showing that back in 2018, there was around 38 million international visitors into the UK, but only 2% of them made it to Wales, which I just found absolutely mind-blowing that we were attracting so few people to this incredible nation that we have. And on top of that, all those people that were coming to to other parts of the UK, they were coming here for sightseeing, for shopping, for premiership football, and 
they all have their place, but, but so few of them are coming here for the incredible wild landscapes that we're so lucky to have. So Claire, you went from a successful career in marketing to this, uh, this idea of following a passion and um, uh, starting up a new business. Tell us about those early days. How did you bring that to life? And crucially, how did you fund it? That's a really good question because it was not something that I'd ever set out to do previously. In fact, I've been known to say in the past that I never wanted to run my own business. But I think after almost 20 years of working for other people and, you know, really giving 110% all the time, it just felt that, you know, actually I, I could do all of that and achieve something for myself. I could head in my own direction. And for me, the really important thing about deciding to set up my own business was that I could do something good, you know, more than it just being a commercial business, which of course it needs to be. But it was about being able to give back and and actually get some passion back in what I was doing for a living, basically. In terms of how we funded it, at the, from the outset, it was all self-funded. I had actually taken voluntary redundancy from my last uh, position at a marketing agency. So we used those funds to really get us going. I also am very lucky to have a lot of contacts within marketing. So I did call in quite a few favours. Thankfully, I've got friends who are designers, art directors, photographers, copywriters. So, you know, I was able to use my marketing skills combined with their very specific design skills to create a, you know, hopefully what I think is a very strong brand for us, but on a fairly low budget because we were self-funding it. And how did you manage in terms of um, setting up a travel business? I mean, I imagine that's not something that can happen overnight. You don't just go from setting up the brand to... uh, hosting guests and and creating holidays for people. How did you go about um, making the business work? That's a really good question because you're right. The the brand is only the bit that people see at the beginning. But actually, once you've sold a trip, you need to be able to deliver on it. The first few months were a very steep learning curve. There's a lot of legalities around running what are classed as package tours, and rightly so. So there's a, a big piece of legislation called the Package Travel Regulations, which I had to become very familiar with very quickly, understand all the insurances and the bonding, financial protection, all sorts that's required around that. So you're right, there was the branding aspect, which I was completely comfortable with because that was had been my life for 20 years. And then there was this whole legal aspect. And obviously, anyone setting up a new business has to learn how to register a business, how to look at shareholdings, how to get yourself insured just to be a business and then the insurance for our specific sector. So there was a lot of research involved. Um, We were very lucky to have a lot of support actually from from somebody who basically acted as our mentor for the first 12 months or so who happened to have a background in travel. So that was really helpful. The actual products, the, the tours themselves, really came from our innate knowledge of the area. So we started with with North Wales. It's where we're based. We know the area inside out. As I say, we are hikers and mountain bikers and trail runners. So we started with what we knew. We've got a huge network of of friends around here who, who deliver all of those things as part of their business. So we started by working out from the mountain bike center that my husband owns. We can do mountain bike trips. We can package that with people that we know who run small boutique hotels, they would recommend guides to us. Or, you know, we know people that run powerboat companies who are mountain leaders. And so it all started from our 
very personal network really that was in in this area that we that we love for you know for ourselves and really turning it into a business obviously we're a few years down the line now and, and you know that kind of word of mouth and friendship network only gets you so far but once you get the ball rolling we still very much work on a referral basis so every guide we work with has been referred by another guide every accommodation we work with has been referred by another accommodation or somebody so Everything is very carefully vetted, but it all comes about through referrals and recommendations. That's a really interesting point that um, that thing about community um, and networks. So, so you've touched there upon how vital that was to get you started in the first place, but but how much is important now? Um, and you also mentioned your mentor, who I know has played mm-hmm. such a big role in your journey. That's something that we hear time and time again at NatWest is the power of the community and power of networks. Um, and I know you're part of the NatWest Accelerator program, mm. aren't you, Claire? And, yes. and that brings its own brilliant community and network as well, as do the programs that University of South Wales run. How big a role do you think that needs to play um, in a business as it's um, starting off and growing is that something that you would recommend that everybody listening to this um, tries to find is their own tribe if you like I think so yes actually when we first started out I think we would have been in a very different position if we hadn't had our mentor from the start to go to him with questions that at that time seemed silly even at the very beginning we went to him with the business idea before we'd even registered anything to say David, what do you think of this? Is this a mad idea or should we go for it? And, you know, it was him saying, I think this is brilliant. No one else is doing this in the UK. You should absolutely go for it. That in itself gave us the confidence to keep pushing through because it it is a difficult journey. It's really rewarding, but it is challenging. And at times it can be a little bit isolating. So to have someone to constantly go to and just check in and make sure things are making sense, you're making the right decisions, you haven't missed something obvious. I think that's really helpful. And you mentioned the NatWest Accelerator, which has been a fantastic source of support, to be honest, over the last couple of years, particularly because when I joined, the the first cohort was right at the start of the first lockdown. And that was a very isolating time as an entrepreneur, but also as somebody that had walked away from a very secure 20-year stable career And suddenly I found myself, you know, a year and a half later into setting up a new business, I found myself in an industry that had basically been ruled illegal. You know, travel was no more. Um, And it was it was a very challenging time. But having that that network around me, particularly through the NatWest Accelerator, was such a source of strength throughout, because I think sometimes, especially when we're all working remotely from home, it, it can feel very isolating and you can feel quite trapped and a bit powerless. Just talking to others and knowing that it's not only you. Everybody is going through something similar. It might be, I think somebody once said to me in respect of COVID, um, someone said, we're all in the same boat. And they said, no, we're not in the same boat. We're all in the same storm. We're just in different boats. And I thought that was a brilliant way of summarizing it. We were all going through something, but it was affecting everybody differently. And we all needed our own way to navigate it. But just by talking to other people in other boats, it helps you get some perspective and and keep going. And yeah, I've met so many wonderful people through there, new partner suppliers that we work with, just other people who are at a similar stage in their business growth. It's been great to talk with and understand how they're approaching recruitment and challenges like that. 
So I think it's it's a really essential part of setting up your own business. Don't try and do it all on your own. Get a really good group around you. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, sticking with that theme of getting people around you, um, I know that um, you've uh, gone for investment and secured investment um, fairly recently. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, many people might find the thought of angel investors a little bit scary. Um, It sort of brings up connotations of some of the shows we might see on TV, doesn't it? Um, But tell us a bit about your experience of going for investment and what would your advice be to anyone who's thinking that might be the next step for them? First of all, I'd say it was nothing like Dragon's Den, so don't worry. (laughs) It was was nothing (laughs) like you see on TV. It was, uh, I mean, it it is a daunting, it is a daunting process for sure. And and especially when you don't know what to expect from it. But again, that's where our original mentor really helped because he really set us up from the outset to be thinking about angel investment and recognizing that was, this was something, you know, to take the business where we wanted to and to scale it up we would need that kind of outside support. He was also really clear in saying, it's not just about the money though, do not follow the money alone. Think of it like a marriage. He was the one who absolutely <laughs> said, you know, you, you almost, like, almost kind of, you know, metaphorically be prepared to get into bed with these people because you're going <laughs> to be working that closely with them. You know, they're, going to, they're going to own a part of your business, your baby. So you've got to feel absolutely comfortable with them and you never want to get down the line and feel any kind of you know, resentment at all. So you've got to feel like you're totally on the same page as them. And tr- as much as they need to trust you, you need to trust them that they're going to give you your head to do your thing, which is to run your mm-hmm. business. So yes, they're inputting the, um, the investment that you need to do, to, you know, to follow the next steps. But you also need the freedom to be able to make the right decisions because you know for your business what's right better than they do. So that was the best advice that we had. Um, it also meant that the first few people that we saw, the first few potential investors, we quite quickly realized that they weren't going to be right for us. And I think without having all that prep, we might have been a little bit more reluctant to say no. Perhaps we would have been thinking, oh, but the money's there and the price is right, so maybe we pursue it. Whereas actually, we were quite quick not to waste anyone's time. And after the first meeting, would just say, no, it's not for us. There was a few people like that who were very much interested in nothing but the numbers. They wanted to interrogate the spreadsheets first and foremost, who we were as people, what our business model was, what our vision was, was secondary to them, or it was all about the spreadsheet. And actually, the moment we found, the moment we, we realized we'd found the right people was when we were matched with um, two potential investors, a husband and wife team. And we were told through the Development Bank of Wales, we were asked to meet with them, but they said they don't want to look at spreadsheets at this point. They'd just like to meet you for a coffee, for a drink, and they just want to have a chat. And we thought, well, that's brilliant because we just like to have a chat with these people too. And just first of all, work out, do we like each other? You know, do, do we get on? <laughs> because if we get on and we like each other, then the business can follow. If we come at it business first, but we just don't like each other, it's never going to work in the long run. That is so interesting. And, and I think such sound advice, um, a really, really fa- fascinating insight into that journey. Um, Claire, I want to uh, go back to something you said at the beginning where you said you wanted to do something good when you left your corporate career. And sustainability is a key part of the business now, isn't it? The website says we have responsible tourism in our DNA. How do you get that message across to your customers, apart from obviously a slogan on the website? 
And how important do you think it is now to let customers know that you are sustainable and you are doing something um, for the planet? As you say, from the beginning, it was a part of what we wanted to do. And it was something that I personally felt really strongly about. I, I go through life trying to live as kindly as possible, as I say. Um, and so for me, this was an opportunity after years of marketing products to people. That was my job. It was to market products across all different industries for people to buy. And that gets a little bit soul destroying after a while. So this was a chance to, you know, to take a step back and think, actually, how can I take my own personal values, my own kind of moral way of being and and try to bring that through in the business? So from the beginning, we set out to be a responsible tour operator. And by that, we meant that we wanted to be as environmentally sustainable as possible. But we also wanted to support local communities. As, as I said, all of our partner suppliers, they started off being people we know and we've expanded out from that a lot. But they still all, all follow the same principles, which is that they are independently owned local businesses. So we are there to support them, to try and level out the peaks and troughs that we see in tourism, in Wales in particular. You know, we know that July and August is packed, but April and October is much quieter. So we want to try and level that out for people. And also um, single-use plastics was something that we banned from the very start. So we do absolutely everything we can to keep single-use plastics to an absolute minimum. But all of that was a little bit hidden away on the responsible travel page of our website. And we didn't, we didn't really shout about it, to be honest. I think I probably felt a bit apologetic about it, that somehow people might think we were charging more in order to do that, which we weren't. It was just part of how we built the business. It was only really when, when COVID happened, which was obviously a huge turning point for us in, in many ways. Um, and we took a little step back to think about, like, we need to pivot our business away from international, focus on domestic. But also at the same time, if you remember back then, there was all this thing coming, kind of news coming out of the media about how people were suddenly noticing nature again for the first time. We had the goats coming down the mountains into Llandidno, for example. <laughs> and all yeah. around the world, nature was, was coming back, wasn't it? And people were noticing it. Mm -hmm. And then people started to talk about air quality because there was no planes in the sky or cars on the roads. And I thought, it's not just me. Actually, other people really do care about this as well. And then as time's gone on, of course, we had COP26 back in November and it's just become you know, obvious that sustainability isn't an afterthought and it's certainly not something for us to be ashamed of or hide. It is something that really set us apart and we needed to start bringing that to the fore. So the, the first step we really made in doing that, because I'm forever worried about being accused of greenwashing. <laughs> so my big thing was we need data. We need data to back this up before we start shouting about it confidently. How do we have the stats there to demonstrate that we are doing the right things? So we worked with a small company called eCollective, who have basically helped us to carbon label all of our tours. So what that means is together we have collectively measured the carbon footprint of every single trip, and we've apportioned it out so that we can look at the average carbon footprint per guest on each trip. And we clearly label that on our website. So that's one of the ways in which we now communicate it to people is to actually show them what their impact on the environment is when they travel with us. Now, that was a bit of a scary project. But actually, when we got the first set of results back, we realized just how low impact we are, like even lower than we expected. Our, our average carbon footprint 
per trip per person is about 16 kilos per day. Compare that to the UK average person of 22 to 28 kilos per day. And you suddenly realize, as E Collective said, if everybody lived on one of our holidays, (laughs) we'd go a long (laughs) way to fixing the climate crisis. So That's a nice had, thought, isn't it? It's, it's I really like that lovely. idea. Yeah. Exactly. I've never been bold enough to put it into advertising, but <laughs> I know that that's, that's true. But that gave us the confidence to actually start really shouting about what we do. And then the, the other thing that we did is, you know, still 16 kilos of carbon a day is still 16 kilos of carbon. So whilst we're working to continue reducing that even further, we teamed up with the Cluidian Range and D Valley AOMB, which is the AOMB within which I'm lucky enough to live. And working with them, we now have a hectare of land in Mulvamai Country Park, which is designated for rewilding. And back in November of last year, we planted our first 185 trees on there to begin a whole new native woodland. So as um, and this, part of a- this is in an area of outstanding natural beauty. Yeah, it is. That's- yes. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and so part of our commitment is that we plant one tree for every guest that travels with us. And that one tree, we know because of the data, more than offsets the carbon of them traveling with us. So it's a really nice thing that we can do to give back to the local area, but also has a big impact on biodiversity and climate change. Fantastic. So really interesting, I think, how um, consumer behaviour did change in the last two years. And um, and you're a shining light of a, a business adapting to that and pulling through what you were already doing and what was already at your heart, I think, and putting it um, slap bang at the front of, of the business is fantastic. Um, and you've recently started um, your uh, Route to B Corp accreditation, I think. We have, yes, yes. It's something we've been thinking and talking about for quite a while now. And yeah, a couple of months ago, we finally decided to to start on the journey. So it's not a quick journey and nor should it be. There's there's a lot to go through. So we've been through the initial impact assessment. So we've got, um, basically, you, you have to complete quite a lengthy impact assessment if you want to go down the B Corp route. And you need to score a certain amount of points, essentially, across all sorts of areas from you know, environments. But you know, it's, it's people and planet, you know, for purpose. So it's um, looking at the uh, stewardship within our own business, you know, how we kind of govern the business itself, as well as our approach to the environment and um, so many other aspects. So we've been through that. We've got our initial impact assessment scores which then highlights the areas that you need to improve on. As they say, no business ever scores the minimum amount needed on their first go. So what it does, though, it gives you a benchmark. And from that, it gives you pointers to that, you know, small things you need to put in place. And obviously, as a small business, almost one of the areas which is um, I think a lot of small businesses lack to begin with is a lot of formal documentation. So we have lots of great ideas and we do lots of things we think in a, in a, in a good way with good intentions but there's not necessarily the formal paperwork to back it up so we're going through quite a hefty process of policy writing at the moment which is one of the steps towards it and then obviously there are more things we can do still to to, to benefit community in particular a few more environmental things that we're working to but it's a really exciting journey and we're really excited to to join that growing number of b corps out there 
Fantastic. Well, Claire, I wish you all the best on that journey. I can't wait to see the outcome and celebrate when you do become that accredited B Corp. Um, I'm afraid our time is up for today. So thank you so much for joining me, Claire. Um, And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear further episodes of Inspiring Women Wales, then please subscribe. To find out more about this podcast and how USW Exchange can connect your organisation to the skills, expertise and facilities at the University of South Wales, visit southwales.ac.uk forward slash business. And for more on NatWest support for small businesses, search NatWest Business Services.